their ways in which we are understanding Catholic doctrine and dogma in the light of new issues. Like, how do we interpret this in the face of new issues? The doctrine and dogma doesn't change, but some of these ways that we practice it evolves. So I was running some errands today, and there was a crowd of people gathered outside the store, and they were gathered around someone who had one of those petition clipboards. And he was making this big deal about wanting people to sign this petition. And I get to the group, and he's like, come on, we need to, we need to get signatures on this petition. Who is in favor of bringing back Roman numerals into use instead of our Arabic numbers, like 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, but using Roman numerals? And people were snickering. Nobody was really saying anything. So I stood up and I said, I for one. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 113. Uh, We're talking about dogma and doctrine and some pretty cool things. But before we do that, if this is your first time listening, welcome. Please make sure you rate and review this podcast. And if you've never done that, like, I don't know how many times I got to tell you, you know, but other people find this podcast when you rate it and when you leave a review, especially if you leave a review with your rating. Don't just give it five stars or whatever amount of stars you want to give it. Hopefully five, but uh, leave a review so other people can see why you like it. If you share this podcast, please tag us on social media. That's the highest compliment you can pay is to share this podcast um, to your friends and family. But tag us at Mana Food for Thought on Instagram or at Mana F4T on Twitter. Instagram is where you'll see most of our content and especially on our website, manafoodforthought.com, all spelled out. You can see all of our previous podcast episodes, blogs, old vlogs, all things like that. And you can contact us there. And if you're feeling generous, because this podcast does cost money to put on, You can be a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month by clicking on the Patreon tab when you go to our website, and you get perks and special things from being a sponsor. So thanks for doing that or considering it. Let's get into our episode, starting with joy, junk, and Jesus. My joy from this past week is that my son, Levi, turned two. And we went to the Aquarium of the Pacific with my in-laws, and it was just a really fun day. I got to turn the car seats around, because you can do that when they're two. So now he's facing forward like his sister is, and he just, he's so excited about that. It also helps because now I can reach him if he's doing something he's not supposed to do. It's very, very helpful. Um, But, so that was a big milestone. Uh, Another joy is that this coming Saturday, when this podcast premieres, I will be driving out to Scottsdale, Arizona for the Catholic Youth Ministry Convention that Life Teen puts on every year uh, in Scottsdale. And that is always the highlight of my summer. It's kind of like the official beginning of summer for me. All ministry is kind of weighing down, and then I get to go be rejuvenated and get ideas for next year. And uh, I'm part of the team as an area contact for Life Teen, so I get to meet a lot of people and serve, and I'm just, it's like a big big family, Catholic family reunion. It's always so wonderful to go. So um, we have about maybe 30 other people from Orange County going from different parishes. So I get to be there present to them and just all the other people there. So pray for me as you're listening to this um, on my drive and my time out there away from my family. Pray for my family. Uh, They'll be up in the mountains, um, you know, spending some time with the in-laws and uh, enjoying the mountain air and escaping the heat. So a lot to be joyful for. Junk is that uh, we've got a little cold in our house. And um, I think Hannah had it first. She recovered really quickly. Levi's um, on the mend, but he's he's kind of he's right in the middle of it today, and I'm not feeling super great, um, but on the mend as well. So um, yeah, just pray for us. And uh, God is outside of time, so when you hear this, even though we might already be better, we may have gotten better because you prayed for us in the future. So 
Um, that's a whole nother episode. But anyways, um, and then my Jesus moment is this past weekend, um, our CIA, our Mystagoga sessions, which was like a Catholicism 101 program for the parish that finished our adult confirmation program finished and they got confirmed at the 11 o'clock mass. And we had this big parish wide event of about 200 plus people, um, afternoon retreat and celebration of the feast of Pentecost, um, with food, uh, a talk worship. And it was just really, really great. And so I had many people come up to me, um, just, you know, new to the parish or like looking to get involved, looking for guidance. You know, I have some people who want some direction and just, it sparked a lot, you know, and it was the right, it was just a right amount and group of people there who were like, I just feel like I encountered a lot of people who I hadn't met who are new to the area. And that was a kind of their first experience was like this Pentecost revival type of like spirit filled Sunday in our community. And it really sparked a lot of energy and it just really felt like the Lord working and speaking through me. It was a very exhausting day. I had to give two talks and manage all these things in the background. And, uh, but it's just, it was very full and in a great way. Um, and so, yeah, praise God for that. It was just really, really cool. So this episode, I, I wanted to talk about, um, doctrine and dogma and kind of the difference of like revelation and things like that. This question has been coming up a lot at Bible study at our Bible study. And it comes up a lot when there's like stuff in the news about Catholicism or when you see like Catholic influencers or speakers assert things about the faith. And sometimes they take it a little bit too far. And so I think the thing that sparked this is just a tendency that I see for other people to assert their opinion or their practice of faith as church doctrine. Like this is what you should do because this, you know, practice was promulgated by this person or whatever it is. And, and it, it presents kind of like a, a, a difficulty for the average Catholic of like, well, what do I believe? What's essential? What's not? Like, you know, you see in, in the scriptures, Jesus vastly criticizes the Pharisees for what's called the traditions of the elders, that there are all these laws that God gave the Hebrew people uh, at Sinai, 600, 613 laws in the Torah. And yet um, there were some laws that only applied to like priests when they were preparing sacrifices about how they were to wash and purify themselves. Over time, people just thought, hey, this might be a good idea for us to purify ourselves before we eat our food um, so we can give thanks to God in a sacrificial way for that. And those became known as the traditions of the elders. The Pharisees were being very, um, what's the word, like... Um, micromanagerial in like their authority and trying to ensure or criticizing people when they wouldn't uh, abide by these traditions of the elders, even though they weren't part of the essential law, the essential kind of, you could say, doctrines or dogmas of Judaism. And so Jesus really rails at them and says like, you know, you're, you're doing these things, you're clean on the outside, but you're, you're impure in your heart, you know, and you're, you're hypocrites, you know? And so, um, I see that same kind of reality at play in the church. And it's, it's always been there. You know, there are people who assert certain things on either end of the spectrum, being super conservative in their Catholicism, super liberal in their Catholicism, very progressive or modern in the way they worship, very traditional in the way they worship. And they kind of, you know, will cherry pick certain things that were written by popes or in church documents that don't necessarily carry the level of ecclesial or church authority that they, that they would like it to, but they present it that way. Um, and so I think like one thing I want to, I want to point out is like, you know, we see these people asserting these things. I think it's important to remember they're sinners too, just like us. Like 
they go to confession too. They need it. Like they're not Jesus. They're not the magisterium. They're not the infallibility of the church. Um, like double check everything that is being said. Um, and I think this happens a lot when it comes to liturgy, especially in like our kind of division between like the Novus Ordo new order mass that came out of Vatican II and how that evolved and the traditional Tridentine Latin mass, you know, uh, and the kind of division between people like hating on the other or hating on the way people who practice the other are. Um, more traditional Catholics think the Novus Ordo is like just not legitimate, that there's too many, um, you know, I don't know what you would call it, modern practices that have made their way into the mass and have made it irreverent or have lost sight of the mass. Um, and then, so trads can be very like um, um, harsh about that. And then some Novus Ordo people can just look back at the trad mass and, and say like, well, that's it's how it was. Like, it's not inviting. It's not hospitable, but they fail to see like the beauty of it. And so, you know, I'm one to believe that the Holy Spirit has not messed up, you know, that the Holy Spirit's guiding the church and that the church, James Joyce says, Catholic means here comes everyone and everyone does not worship the same way. There is unity in diversity in Catholicism. Even in the Trinity, there is unity in diversity, one God, three persons. And so there are many different ways to worship, and I do wholeheartedly believe that the Holy Spirit has guided us to a place where we have different ways in which we can celebrate in the uh, Holy Sacrifice of the Mass um, that are appropriate for different geographical regions, languages, seasons, whatever it might be, and that they are they're all valid, and the Eucharist is still the Eucharist. We go to Mass for the Eucharist, you know. All of these other things are kind of external. They're about the music and the environment and the whether it's chanted, what language it's in. And essentially, like, if you understand the doctrine of the Eucharist, that the God of the universe is being manifest there on the altar, none of the rest of it necessarily matters, like, unless it's oriented toward that happening. You know what I mean? Like, and the Mass has changed over time. Things have been in different languages. Things have been in a different order. But the Eucharist was always paramount. It was always why people gathered. Um, by the way, the first Masses were not said in Latin. So Latin, the Latin Tridentine Mass is a Novus Ordo compared to what the original Mass of Jesus was. You know, those were said in Aramaic. You know, you'd have to go to the Syriac Church or the Maronite Church maybe to see what those things uh, were originally, how Mass was originally celebrated. Uh, and they, you know, um, still celebrate it that way today. And you go and you recognize a lot of the parts, but a lot of stuff is out of order, you know, and there's a tradition there, but still has this beauty to it that's not like, you know. Anyways, I see this happen a lot with things like that. <clears throat> um, I see this happen a lot when it comes to how we think of religious figures, how we think of saints, you know. Um, we present these saints as these like holy, perfect examples, and we forget that they were real. And we have this feeling like, okay, well, am I allowed to be real? Am I allowed to present my brokenness? Or do I have to have this like presentation like an influencer or, you know, you know, a Catholic, you know, person in the media that like everything has to be this perfect way and get really scrupulous or obsessive about like, what's doctrinal? Am I doing things right? And just recognize like you have permission to be real. Like God wants your real self and it's okay to share your real experiences, to share the struggle and to recognize like, you know, maybe I don't know everything that the church teaches, or maybe I'm not sure if that is legitimate, but like to verify it all and make sure that the essential things that we're asked to believe that we're believing and the essential things that we're asked to do that we're doing, but everything else we weigh and we test and we discern, is this right for me? Is this what the Lord is calling me to do or not? Is this going to help me in my journey to becoming a saint, my journey of holiness or not? 
or am I doing this out of peer pressure, positive spiritual peer pressure, feeling like I have to belong, you know, and so I'm going to do this even though I don't really, I'm not comfortable with it or it's not my way to pray or it's not my thing, whatever. Um, so just recognizing like the, the saints, the saints were real people. You are a real person. Uh, there's not this like tried and true, you know, manual of like, if you do everything this way and believe everything just like this, like you will be perfect. It's like human life is not that simple. Like there's always gray areas that come up and we struggle. And so how do we, how do we, uh, sift through all of that, the way that we pray, the way that we live, the way that we worship, what we believe and come to what is essential. Okay. So some of this is going to come from the USCCB, the United, uh, uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and their subcommittee on the catechism. There's, a, there's some frequently asked questions on their page about this, about what the catechism is, what it's for. Uh, but I, I'm going to use these words, um, dogma and doctrine and practice. Practice is easy to kind of understand, but dogma and doctrine um, are different, but they're sometimes used interchangeably, okay? Um, doctrine is this kind of all-encompassing term. That means all of the church teachings in matters of faith and morals. So all of the church's doctrine, the at least the essential and fundamental context of the church doctrine, is in the catechism. Okay, it says this in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 11. It says, The catechism aims at presenting an organic synthesis of the essential and fundamental contents of Catholic doctrine as regards both faith and morals in the light of the Second Vatican Council and the whole of the church's tradition. Okay, so there may be other ecumenical documents out there, papal bulls, uh, apostolic exhortations, uh, papal encyclicals that come out. And those are things that do carry some level of authority, but they, they're they not necessarily binding church doctrine. They will say in authoritative language within the document, using certain things like, now I, in the chair of Peter, or out of the chair of Peter, now fundamentally declare as a doctrine for all believers to adhere to this. You know, And that doesn't happen very often. And so most often, there are ways in which we are understanding Catholic doctrine and dogma in the light of new issues. Like, how do we interpret this in the face of new issues? The doctrine and dogma doesn't change, but some of these ways that we practice it evolves, okay? And the way that we articulate doctrine, because new matters of faith and morals come up all the time, the way that we articulate it will expand and change over time, but the essential things will always stay the same. So, the USCCB in its Frequently Asked Questions page on the Catechism, question 47, uh, it says that the Catechism presents the message of Christ in its entirety. It presents the message of Christ faithfully. So the entire revelation of Jesus Christ is contained in the teachings of the Catechism. So if you want to know what are the essential doctrines of Catholicism, those are in the Catechism, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and they all find their root in sacred scripture, because we believe that's where public revelation comes from. It's from the revelation of God through Jesus Christ and the authority he gave the original 12 apostles. And that public revelation, public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle. Okay? So there's no new Catholic doctrine that can just spring up out of nowhere that does not find its roots in the teachings, writings, practices, or events of Jesus in the New Testament, coming out of the Old Testament, and in the life of the early church. Just, it can't happen. Like, that's the, that's just, that's why they're so fundamental. Again, the wording and how we present them, how we talk about them, how we practice them evolves over time in new historical periods with new issues that come up. You know, uh, I was having this conversation the other night, like, 
the uh, the doctrines of things like the dignity of human life, they've been around since the beginning. Like if you read the Didache in the year 70, or if you read just like scripture and just how God cares for each one of his creation, like it's clear that all of us are created with dignity. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, we're all created in the image and likeness of God. And so that's that's clear. However, embryonic stem cell research was not an issue that was around at the time of Jesus or cloning. Just wasn't. So when those new issues come up, doctrine elaborates and evolves, but it's still based on the fundamental teachings of Jesus. And that has to be within public revelation, meaning the teachings of Jesus, how they were articulated and uh, evolved during the life and the authority of the 12 apostles, ending with the death of the last apostle. So I say that because stuff will come up with Marian apparitions, like Our Lady of Fatima. And Our Lady of Fatima, I believe, said, like, everyone should pray the rosary every day and things like that. That is a practice that was recommended by the Blessed Mother to the specific people she was appearing to at that specific time. Okay? The church has approved that apparition, meaning that you can, when they approve an apparition, what they're, they're not saying everything that happened and everything that was said is now church teaching. That's not what it means to approve of an apparition. What it means is that... There's nothing wrong with believing in this. There's nothing contradictory to church teaching for you to adhere to these particular practices or this advice or these teachings. You know, it doesn't contradict what the church would say or recommend in certain situations. It's the same thing if you ever see a book, a Catholic book that has what's called an imprimatur or a nihil obstat. These are, are uh, delineations given by bishops to uh, printed works. And it's not saying everything in this work is Catholic doctrine. What it's saying is this, uh, this written work is devoid of heresy. It doesn't make any doctrinal errors. But there are things in it that may not have anything to do with doctrine. They may just be recommendations of certain practices, and a practice is different than a doctrine. Practice is how you live this out in your everyday life. And because everyone's everyday life is different in all these different contexts, that cannot be contained in a catechism. So we have the fundamental teachings, the doctrines in the catechism, and then practices evolve over time. So... If the church says, like, an apparition is approved or there's a certain devotion that is, you know, uh, acceptable for you to adhere to, uh, that doesn't mean that you have to. You know, you're free to believe it or not. The things that we are not free to believe or not are the essential dogmas of the faith. Now, a dogma is more narrowly defined. It's a part of doctrine. So remember, doctrine is all-encompassing. All the church's teaching in matter of faith and morals that's been faithfully presented from the revelation of Jesus Christ— through the death of the last apostle, that is now uh, the essentials and fundamentals of which are listed in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. A dogma is that which has been divinely revealed and which the Church has formally defined and declared to be believed as revealed by God. So, um, was the Church doctrine on embryonic stem cell research divinely revealed? No. But the fundamental dogma of all people are created in the image and likeness of God, and that's an ontological reality of who we are, that was revealed divinely. And so essential dogmas are the things that were divinely revealed. The teachings that developed out of them, the doctrines, are not always all divinely revealed. They're elaborations of divinely revealed truth. And so the essential dogmas of the church are things like the statements of the creed, you know, uh, what we believe about God as Father, as the Son, as the Holy Spirit, their natures and our relationship, what the nature of humanity is, 
Um, the belief in the sacraments, those are usually listed as dogmas, the seven sacraments, the four Marian dogmas that have been established, um, and, uh, and, and different things like that, different things that we believe about the sacraments, about the authority of the church and apostolic succession, and things like that. And that's pretty much it. So if you think about doctrine as faith and morals— you could think essentially of dogma as the essential components of faith, what we believe, that have been divinely revealed. Because that then informs how we live, which is morals. And that evolves based on different you know, events, different issues that come up over time, and those are the other doctrines. All dogmas are doctrines, but not all doctrines are dogmas. Okay? So that's the important distinction. Um, this is in uh, the Catechism, paragraph 88. Uh, it says, The church's magisterium, that's the teaching authority of the church, the pope and all of the bishops who are, who are uh, faithfully joined to the pope. The church's magisterium it exercises the authority it holds from Christ to the fullest extent when it defines dogmas. That is, when it proposes in a form obliging the Christian people to an irrevocable adherence of faith, truths contained in divine revelation, or also when it proposes in a definitive way, truths having a necessary connection with these. Okay, so see here how it talks about truths that are dogmas that come from divine revelation, or it also exercises authority to establish those other truths that have a necessary connection with these, which would be other doctrines. Okay, so that's paragraph 88 of the Catechism. Um, what else was I going to say? So the, there's a difference then with uh, dogma, doctrine, and then practices. Practices are the the things that we do. Like praying the rosary every day is a practice. It's not a teaching of the church. You don't have to pray the rosary at all in order to be saved. Uh, the, the thing that is essential for salvation is baptism, to be baptized validly. Um, but other things like, you know, praying the liturgy of the hours or making sure you fast from meat on Fridays, like these things are practices that have evolved over time. Even aspects of, of uh, like, the sacraments or priestly life, like uh, the teaching that all priests uh, must be celibate. That was not a practice in the early church. Priest bishops could be married. You know, we see that evidence in scripture. It, when it talk about a good bishop, a good bishop should only be married once. You know, we don't have bishops that are married at all, except in very rare circumstances when they convert from other rites of the church or other faiths where they're allowed to be married. Um, so those things are important to kind of know. How do we sift these things apart? How do we discern what is a dogma, what is a doctrine? Now, it doesn't really help. You're, you're not going to really get any benefit from, like, sifting between what's a dogma and what's a, dog, a doctrine, a dogma and a doctrine, because the doctrines are all the things that we're asked to believe or that we're expected to believe as Catholics, the essential teachings of the church that all stem from dogma. If you want to know, like, what's been divinely revealed and how has this stuff evolved, then you can kind of start to sift between dogma and doctrine. Um, but it's when we get from doctrine to practice. And practice has a lot to do with liturgy, how we worship. It has to do a lot with uh, the saints and how they achieved their sainthood. Uh, not that they earned it on their own. They only did it by the grace of God. But how they lived their life in holy ways. Like, those were different practices. And some of them might be helpful for you to emulate. Some ways of worshiping might be more helpful for you than others. But remember, all of these have evolved over time. What is essential is what the doctrines and dogmas of the church are. And those are contained in the Catholic, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And so if you ever have any questions about what's essential, what's not, do I have to believe this? If something comes out in the news that the Vatican is saying this or that, like, um, you know, um, 
it's okay to um, have the COVID vaccine. That was a conversation I had this week. Um, you know, was that something that was a doctrine for everyone? No. They're just saying that if you so choose and you're good conscious to do that, it is morally permissible. If the reason you're not choosing to do that is because you don't think it's morally permissible, the Vatican was trying to assure people that it is in its estimation based on the teaching authority of the church and what establishes formal cooperation with evil and how like uh, uh, abortive, uh, aborted fetus cells were used in the derivation of a, a, a specific uh, cell line that then has been replicated over time and used in, in vaccine creation, things like that. So um, when it comes to these things as they're presented to you, as you're discerning, as you are reading the news, as you're, you know, like listening to other Catholics out there, not every Catholic, even if they're a priest or a bishop, is uh, inerrant. Okay, it's only the collective bishops collectively are protected by the infallibility of the church, meaning that they will never bind the church to error in the matters of faith and morals. They will never commit to saying, we now faithfully, dogmatically, doctrinally teach this and that to be something that's false. That's where the doctrines of like papal infallibility and the infallibility of the church come in, is that the Pope is not impeccable, he's not perfect, and he's not infallible in anything he says. He's infallible when he is speaking ex cathedra out of the chair of Peter on a matter of faith and morals to define it as dogma uh, or as doctrine. And he's only done that twice ever, and they've both been on teachings about Mary. I believe about the Immaculate Conception of Mary and about the Assumption of Mary into heaven. Uh, it's never happened otherwise. Okay, so we don't have to kind of worry about like, are all these doctrines evolving or changing, or how do we know what's true or what's not? Get a catechism. Read a little bit of it every day, like you should with Scripture. You know, I would encourage you to read a chapter of Scripture every day and read five or ten paragraphs of the Catechism every day. And before you know it, in a year or two, you'll be through both. You know, you'll be through, I think, the Catechism in a year, for sure, if you just read ten paragraphs a day, because um, there's less than uh, 3,650 paragraphs. There's like 28, 2,900. Um, so you'll be through the Catechism in a year. And the Bible, you know, reading a chapter or two a day, you'll be in it in a year or two, through it in a year or two. So I uh, highly recommend that you do that so that you're constantly learning and being aware of what is asked of us as Catholics, how to practice this faith well, to know what is expected of us, what is doctrine, and what is just things that are out there, practices that people have. And then when you realize something is a practice, don't just throw it away or set it aside, or if it's, you know, what's called private revelation, anything that was revealed is said to or believed to have been revealed by God to an individual after the death of the last apostle, you can still discern, does this help me in my spiritual life, in my walk toward sainthood and my desire to be a holy disciple of Jesus Christ, does this help me in my faith or not? And you can choose to practice it or not, but just make sure you're avoiding scrupulosity. You know what is essential and you know what is, you know, essentially optional um, and discern those things appropriately. So I hope that helps alleviate some maybe potential confusion that you may have or helps you kind of redefine some of those words and have it settled in your mind. So when people start arguing about liturgy, about how the mass should be, when they start arguing about what it means to like be holy or have a prayer life or to you know share your faith with your family, practices that you should be doing in the home, know that all of that is personal opinion. And if it helps you, it helps you. But if people are asserting personal opinion as church doctrine, recognize they're imperfect sinners just like you. They're not Jesus. They're not the infallibility of the church, the magisterium, the pope. They're not. Uh, and so 
even if they can quote some sources or church documents, it doesn't mean that the language used in those church documents is binding for us to believe as doctrine. Very specific language needs to be used, and it's very clear in the language that something is being authoritatively declared for all to believe. So try and find the source, ask someone who might know, and be assured that if you've got a catechism, you've got a Bible, and you're reading them regularly, you're going to be on the right path. That's all I have for you this week. Until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.